Hey, hey, how's everybody doing? My name is Christian Wagner. I'm the Militant Thomist, and this is Scholastic Answers. So, I hope you all didn't forget about me, and if you're watching later, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But, basically, child was born, what, three weeks ago, three and a half weeks ago? So, I took some time off, and I thought it was only going to be like two weeks, but ended up taking a little bit more time than I thought I needed. But, you know, it's whatever. Things happen. But uh, I'm back. And upon coming back, I've decided to take a little bit of a pause on my Evolution of Catholic Dogma series. I will still be doing Saturday streams with Hassan. I still will be doing chill streams Thursday night for YouTube members. I will still be doing all of that. It's just a change in kind of my uh, series that I do a few videos on uh, within the week. So this series is going to be on the life of St. Thomas Aquinas because I was sent this. So what is this right here? This is the life of St. Thomas Aquinas by William of Toko or Tocow. Toko. I don't know how to pronounce it. I don't know where Toko is, but if you're from... If you're from the area of Toko, if you could let me know how it's pronounced, that'd be great. I think he's Southern Italian, actually, William of Toko. So if you're Italian, please tell me how to pronounce that. Otherwise, uh, yes. So why is this important? This is the earliest biography. Well, it's debated, maybe second earliest biography, but at least the most important biography of St. Thomas Aquinas. I will be telling you about this. And all of the other early sources from about the first 40 to 50 years after his death, uh, within a century of his birth, if you want to put it like that. I will be telling you about all of that today. And we're going to have a fun little chat about that. Not going to be too long, but, you know, I like to prime it with something like this. And if you look at my video from yesterday, my video from yesterday was uh, St. Thomas's Daily Prayer, which is from this, recorded by William of Toko. Uh, one of the old friars said that St. Thomas used to pray the same prayer every day, and he, thanks be to God, recorded it. But before we begin, as always, if you like St. Thomas Aquinas, which I'm assuming if you're watching this, you're doing it because you like St. Thomas Aquinas, not because you don't like St. Thomas Aquinas, and would like to support the spreading of his doctrine in a non-cringe way, there's two things you can do. First, you become a patron. That would be great. Second, as always, you should subscribe. And third, New Aquinas Academy. So what's New Aquinas Academy? New Aquinas Academy is basically a set of glorified reading groups that I'm going to be uh, lecturing. And we're going to be discussing a little bit the some of the works of St. Thomas Aquinas. I have a cursus of all of his easy works, I call them, all of his beginner works that he wrote for uh, laymen or for younger brothers. And they're actually pretty easy to read and provide a, a good introduction to the way which uh, St. Thomas Aquinas writes and some of his uh, most central doctrines. So it's a Discord group. Uh, so if you go to my website, christianbwagner.com, you should see a section explaining to you what New Aquinas Academy is. Or if you go to the uh, description below, New Aquinas Academy Discord link right there. And the best part, completely free. I mean, if you'd like to give me money, go ahead won't stop you. But I want this to be something that uh, I completely out of the goodness of my heart do. So there you go. Uh, definitely check that out. If anything, you're just going to have uh, a group which is discussing works of St. Thomas Aquinas. So 
if you don't feel like listening to me speak, at least you could just talk with other people about it. Okay, now let us begin. So who was our friend William? I'm just going to call him, uh, Will actually I'll call him Brother William. Now he was a priest, so Father William. So who was our friend Father William? Let me get my notes up. So he was a Dominican friar. Uh, he held some important positions actually within the Dominican order. He was an inquisitor because if you remember your history of the Dominican order, the Dominicans were known for being inquisitors, actually. They were known for prosecuting certain uh, cases of heretics and of those who uh, broke ecclesiastical law really in any ways. And they were really good at it. And they would also preach to convert heretics. This is something going all the way back to the life of St. Dominic. This isn't some sort of later corruption uh, upon the Dominican order. No, this is actually the center of the very Dominican charism is the preservation of truth, whether it come through uh, ecclesiastical prosecution or whether it, well, prosecution within ecclesiastical law or whether it comes through the convincing of preaching. So that was uh, William de, de Toco. That, that, that was his thing. He did inquisitorial work throughout his life. And he was about 20 years younger than St. Thomas. So that would have put him in his late 20s when St. Thomas died in uh, 1274. So why do, why do we care about William of Toco besides the fact that he wrote this work? Why, is, why did this work become uh, so important? Well, it became so important because actually uh, Father William lived with St. Thomas Aquinas. Yeah, that's right. He lived with St. Thomas Aquinas for two years at the Dominican Priory at Naples. And this was, if you remember, 1274, Fossa Nova. That's where St. Thomas Aquinas died. So 1272 and 73, this is really uh, the prime of St. Thomas's life. Because if you think about the work output of St. Thomas, uh, he does his work, um, Dante Tessentia, and also his commentary on the sentences, his bachelor commentary, very early in life. I think both of those are from the 1250s. So he's doing, he's doing those works early in his life. But over uh, the span of his life, St. Thomas... He generally, uh, you, you could just see it in his works. Like you, you see, um, not a thinker who uh, maybe like somebody like Saint Augustine, who was uh, changing positions, uh, going out of his way to change his mind on certain things due to debates that he had. Yes, Saint Thomas, in a few isolated cases, did change positions he had, and he mentions where he changes his position. Uh, he'll talk about, as I thought one time in my life, uh, is, is the general like introductory phrase. But uh, he, he just gets deeper and he gets simpler. And what, what do I mean by simpler? I mean simpler, not in the sense of like dumb simple, but in the sense of uh, resolving all things to the most profound um, aspect or the most profound relation. That's what St. Thomas does throughout his life. So by 1272, 1273, St. Thomas, he is, he's on fire. Let, let, let's just put it like that. He is uh, at his best near the end of his life. He isn't like other thinkers who kind of peak in their, I don't know, the, uh, about 10, 15 years after they uh, enter professional life and then kind of throughout the, the end of their life, 
go downhill. This might have something to do with the fact that St. Thomas died in his late 40s, but he was on fire near the end of his life, and he was producing insane things. And insane, not in a bad sense, but insane, like insanely good. That That's what he was doing near the end of his life. So this is when William de Tocco lived uh, in the same priory at Naples uh, as St. Thomas Aquinas. So there's no record of Father William being a close friend of St. Thomas or uh, anything like an intimate student of St. Thomas Aquinas. Uh, it, it seems from the records that William uh, didn't receive uh, the higher education that would have been received by the intelligentsia of the order during the day. But, you know, he lived in the same place as he did. So they had contact. They had plenty of contact. Uh, and also, um, he had, uh, it was required for all Dominicans to attend scriptural lectures. And who was given the lecturing? St. Thomas Aquinas. He was actually lecturing through Romans and Psalms. We know all of these things. Those were the two books that he was lecturing during his time uh, at the uh, Dominican Priory at Naples. So, uh, William of Togo, this is what he listened to. Uh, he, he listened to two years of daily lectures from St. Thomas on Scripture. So, with, with those sort of connections, we know that he was pretty close. Uh, he, was, he was pretty close to him. I mean, he wasn't a brother Reginald, which we'll actually get into brother Reginald later because it's interesting. But uh, uh, Will, Father William, close friend. Well, acquaintance, close acquaintance uh, to him. I don't, I don't want to give this sort of over-familiarity uh, sort of idea. He was, he was a younger uh, Dominican at the same priory who was an admirer and lived in the same place, which puts him in a very good position, actually, uh, to be able to objectively uh, tell the story of St. Thomas Aquinas, and especially being in the same order that St. Thomas Aquinas was. He knew plenty and plenty of people. He, he could have uh, almost interviewed somebody who had been with St. Thomas every day of his life if he wanted to. That's just the way in which the Dominican order uh, worked back then. That's, that's how close-knit uh, the community was and how communal it was in the way in which uh, things worked. So that happened. Uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, he dies on his way to uh, Second Leon. Very sad. Um, he didn't get to convert all of the Greeks then. But he dies then. And 40 years later, so what happens 40 years later? If you remember, uh, William of Toko, young guy, 20 years younger than St. Thomas. So he's still alive uh, 40 years later when John the 22nd becomes Pope. So John the 22nd, he's famous uh, for some of his shenanigans surrounding the beatific vision. But he actually was a huge fan of St. Thomas Aquinas. He had the entirety of the complete works of St. Thomas Aquinas uh uh, printed for, well, not printed, uh, recorded for him and taken to uh, Avignon because he, he was one of the Avignon popes. So uh, the Dominicans during this time had been utterly obliterating the Franciscans, as they always do, utterly obliterating well, the radical Franciscans. The radical Franciscans uh, group of a very weird, a weird group of guys who would say that Dominicans shouldn't be doing smart people stuff. That was basically their whole thing. Uh, they, they got, they got very upset about the, the uh, Dominicans doing what they were doing. 
uh, and being smart teachers, and they got really mad at this. They, they really hated it. So the Dominicans utterly obliterated them. Uh, you actually can see some of the works of St. Thomas are written against some of the uh, proto-radical Franciscans. I don't, I don't, I guess during their life, it's kind of the, a more mature form of the movement had grown uh, in the decades following the death of St. Thomas, but there was, there was groups of them around and St. Thomas wrote against them. So as a thank you for the Dominicans being the Dominicans and doing what the Dominicans do because they were so awesome. John the 22nd decided to make St. Thomas Aquinas, one of the famous uh, Dominicans, a saint and uh, the Pope, while he can just get out there and say, okay, he's a saint, I do it. There's certain canonical laws and procedures around making somebody a saint. And it requires uh, a great deal of investigation. Now, it doesn't require a great deal of investigation for validity, uh, but rather for uh, the lawfulness of the procedure uh, due to canon law. So continuing... Um, so at this point, uh, there were still a number of friars, uh, family members, uh, general members of the public who still knew St. Thomas Aquinas. I mean, think about somebody from your life that you know who died in the 80s. Uh, even, even, even if you're younger, uh, like somebody like my age, who wasn't alive in the 80s, Think about somebody who died in the 80s and how much uh, of sort of legend and public records and friends and family that still exists from that person who died in the 80s. There's still a great deal of stuff uh, from their life that we can get to. So what was decided was that they would get one of the friars who knew St. Thomas Aquinas personally to help investigate his case. And there were actually a number of of different uh, uh, Dominican friars who did this. Some actually didn't know St. Thomas personally, so they would be a little bit more objective. Some were close students of St. Thomas Aquinas, and we'll get into some of these other figures to show the verification of uh, William de Tocco's stories of, of St. Thomas. But yes, William knew him personally, so he was given the privilege of writing a certain life. So he was able to go all throughout Europe interview people and collect stories uh, about the life of St. Thomas from a bunch of people that knew St. Thomas and were very close uh, to St. Thomas. And actually, it's, it's very likely that living with St. Thomas for those two years back in the 1270s had influenced uh, uh, William uh, so much, uh, Father William so much, that he had been thinking on them ever since St. Thomas died. And he had actually been doing this as a, as a bit of a private um, practice because it was very familiar, uh, well, very common during this time. Uh, you see, for example, in Blessed Jordan of Saxony, who was uh, one of the heads of the Dominican order, to collect these histories or stories of the brethren uh, in order to keep alive uh, some of the stories of the early days. And St. Thomas was one of the friars of the early days. So it's not like we don't know what happened with St. Thomas. This this is what I'll be <laughs> this is what I'll be continuing to express throughout this entire stream. Is there's very many different factors 
that we have where we know that these guys knew with a great deal of certainty, sometimes with greater historical certainty that we have about like it's actually insane how how many uh, early resources we have about the life of St. Thomas Aquinas, which we'll be getting into. But um, there were many, uh, many different firsthand witnesses that uh, corroborated uh, these stories and a few other figures that we know cross-examined the various different sources to make sure there wasn't any lying going on uh, because they took these canonization processes very, very seriously. And all of these men went under oath uh, when it came to their stories. They were um, cross-examined uh, because um, if you're not familiar, the term devil's advocate comes from um, a certain figure in the canonization process who would try his hardest to uh, explain away all of the, the, the signs of sanctity and miracles in, in the life of a saint. So the church took these things very seriously. Uh, so we really, everything in this book, true. And we know it's true. And if you want to disagree with that, you're literally insane. Uh, you're quite literally insane. Okay, so what did uh, what was William of Toco tasked to do? So they, uh, that is the Dominican order, now that they were given the green light to investigate the cause for the canonization of St. Thomas, they allowed William of Toco to just travel all throughout Europe and talk to whoever he needed to and collect all of these stories and eventually distill it down into a history of the life of St. Thomas. So uh, when it comes to some of the people he talked to, and if, and if you're in the know, you'll know how impressive this is. Well, at least the second one is. So he actually got to speak with some of the family of St. Thomas Aquinas. So uh, he interviewed the niece of St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, one of the daughters of one of his sisters, and a nephew of St. Thomas, the daughter of a different sister. So you have kind of these two streams uh, talking about uh, his uncle. And they were able to give some family stories about the early life of St. Thomas and about, um, about St. Thomas's mother, um, about St. Thomas's siblings. They, they were really able to get a lot of family information from two different sources, which is kind of amazing, about the life of St. Thomas. And uh, he also interviewed a um, bunch of people in the order who knew St. Thomas, already went over this. But what I didn't mention is he interviewed, he got the interview, Brother Reginald. Do any of you, any of you out there know who Brother Reginald is? So Brother Reginald was basically the personal secretary of St. Thomas Aquinas. I have no idea how the guy was still alive. I, I figured when I was reading, uh, about, do we know when Brother Reginald uh, died? I, I forgot to look, look this up. Brother Reginald. Yes, I, I can't remember what, where he was from. Reginald. Okay. When did he die? Does it say? Or when was he born, I guess, is the most important. Um, yeah, he received St. Thomas's last confession, did his funeral oration. Yeah, I can't find... Uh, 
He died in the 1290s. So yeah, uh, basically, Brother Reginald, he was by St. Thomas's side all the time. He gave some of the reports of St. Thomas's works. One of St. Thomas's works, uh, the one I can think of off the top of my head is the Compendium Theologiae, was written to Brother Reginald. So yeah, he was around, uh, Brother Reginald was around St. Thomas basically all the time. I think uh, there's there's a story where Brother Reginald like slept in the same room as St. Thomas throughout his whole life. Uh, they were, well the same cell, like well not the whole life, but uh, until St. Thomas died. So yeah, they were they were really close. They were really close. So we have family members, uh, we have secretary, we have multiple different uh, close students of St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, friends of St. Thomas Aquinas. Uh, Another one is Lord Bartholomew of Capua. Uh, he was a student of one, one of St. Thomas's closest students for three years uh, at Naples. Um, and then also a very interesting one is he, Brother Reginald went to Fasanova. So if you remember, I mentioned it earlier, Fasanova, that was the place where St. Thomas died. So many of the monks who were there that day because if you uh, remember, kind of, I think Fasanova is a Benedictine monastery. But if you remember about uh, the way in which monasteries worked, especially back then, you don't leave your monastery your whole life. You just stay there. Uh, you have to get permission to leave, but otherwise you just stay there. Uh, they're not like the, the Dominicans kind of get moved around a lot, but the Benedictines, they just show up, say, I want to stay here for the rest of my life from that point to their death. Basically, their entire lives are just lived there. So they still had a lot of different uh, monks who were still alive from the time St. Thomas died and watched him die and interacted with him uh, up until his death and interacted with Brother Reginald and everyone else and saw the miracles that happened actually right after St. Uh, well, kind of during St. Thomas's death and right after St. Thomas's death. So he interviewed many of the monks of Fasanova. So um, and. That's kind of it about uh, uh, William of Toko. But there are other figures who also wrote lives of St. Thomas. Because at this point, you're like, okay, yeah, this is a lot of an impressive uh, grouping of sources and interviews that he did. But, you know, couldn't Father William just make all this stuff up? Couldn't he have uh, accepted bad stories just because they, well, Badly witnessed two stories just because they kind of sounded cool and he wanted to uh, write uh, hagiography. Couldn't that have uh, been the case? Well, I guess perhaps. I mean, you would be impugning the moral character of Father William, but, you know, it's entirely possible. But uh, here is kind of the, the, the way we know that that's utterly false. Because there are actually other... Uh, accounts like Father Williams from that era. So um, we have actually all of the minutes of the canonization of St. Thomas Aquinas, the, the inquiry process. We have all of the minutes from that. So we have the, all of the names of every single figure who came up to witness to some of the events of St. Thomas Aquinas. A lot of these different events also uh, occur in this book. So we can cross-reference with the minutes of the canonization. There was another uh, work written by Bernard Gui. 
Uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but he was a <clears throat> student uh, of the Dominican order in this in the 1270s. So maybe, but probably not uh, knew St. Thomas personally. And he was a professional historian of the Dominican order. Uh, he wrote a lot of different historical works. He was a famous inquisitor and he was tasked uh, with making sure he went through all of the material which was present at the canonization in uh, uh, Father Williams' uh, work and uh, the other works which were written at this time. He made sure he had to sift through all of the material to make sure this wasn't made up. Uh, that was a huge uh, concern, is making sure that if something could be false, that we would get rid of it. But if something is well witnessed to by a lot of different figures, then we can uh, let it go through. And there was a another personal history, which was written by Peter uh, Kahlo. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right, Kahlo. This was probably written in the first decade of the 14th century. So this was a little bit closer to the life of St. Thomas. Uh, the others were written in the second decade, or uh, and then some accounts up to the third decade. But uh, that was another really early uh, one, which was done. So also, um, there were general Dominican histories, uh, which were written at this time. If you know about the lives of the brethren, um, I'm trying to remember other uh, histories, but there were a lot of different histories of the Dominican order, which were written during this time. Uh, it was a very popular genre to write. And there was actually a very important one written by uh, Ptolemeo of Luca. I think I'm pronouncing that right. And it dedicated 15 chapters to the life of St. Thomas. And this was written in 1317. So 1274, 1317, that's 43 years after his death. Um, and a lot of a lot of these were written by different streams. Some of them like uh, Peter, well, some of them like Bernard Gui. His was actually written as a sort of critical investigation into uh, William of Toko and Peter Kahlo. Uh, he, he wrote it in order to make sure that everything that had been written before him were uh, true. So if there was anything which was false, he would have uh, he would have erased it. Or if there's anything where he was able to find that it was inadequately uh, based in reality, he would have gotten rid of it. So we have multiple different uh, witnesses who are drawing some of them on the same sources, some of them with different sources and getting the same stories and being very clear about what they're saying. Uh, the minutes of the canonization are very clear. They tell a very similar story to what uh, William of Toko is saying to what Peter of Kahlo uh, is saying, to what Ptolemeo of Luca is saying, to what Bernard Gui is saying, uh, all of these different guys. Plus you have a proliferation of histories which are written uh, in the rest of the 14th century because these are just the earliest ones uh, that, we, that we have near the time of the canonization. So these were, these were uh, regarded as the best because they were the newest. But there's other ones which um, synthesized all of this material and uh, made sure it did an even more extensive uh, investigation to firsthand accounts or other uh, written material. Then uh, also a, a full sort of understanding of the writings of St. Thomas. So uh, basically all this to say is that this, that this work, William of Toko, 
And all of the stuff I'm going to tell you about this work are true. It is so true. Uh, if you want to deny that these stories are true, it's inconceivable. You have to have some sort of preconceived uh, reason for denying it. So let's say you are a Protestant out there or you are um, Orthodox out there or you are some other schismatic from the church. It would make sense why you wouldn't want uh, this being true. But, you know, it's just unquestionably true. Um, you, you can be more sure about the stories in this book than you can about stories from your grandparents' youth or whatever it may be that they tell you. Uh, this is one of the most well-documented um, canonization processes uh, of the medieval world, for sure. Probably the best. Um, is this the same brother Reginald uh, that was alive with Blessed Jordan of Saxony? I believe so. Um, you would have to ask Calder. Uh, he would know better than me. But yeah, I think so. Okay. So that's all I have. Don't see any other questions. Thank you. God bless. Uh, make sure you um, make sure you look out for the next video. And also, uh, I don't know how to make this this smooth transition, but St. Thomas, if he could have, he would have known Greek. So all of you out there should also know Greek. So if you want to learn Greek, go to fluentgreeknt.com. Uh, use the code militant, 20% off. Uses amazing, uh, comprehensible input uh, type stuff in order to present to you things, you can, sentences in Greek you can comprehend uh, through similar verb forms. It's, it's really amazing stuff. It's like if Lingua Latina uh, right here uh, got injected with steroids and then uh, got put on a cool uh, digital platform. So that's, but it's for Greek. That, that's how amazing fluentgreeknt.com is. Use code militant, 20% off. Uh, tell them I sent you. Uh, so that's all. Thank you. God bless. See you next time.